So Israel, that would be Jacob, took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, that's still in Israel, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. So the Lord said to him, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts, which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons, his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all of his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. They are completely relocating the family. Some of you maybe come from first generation uh, growing up in this country as immigrants. Sam Koch is not here tonight, but Pastor Sam grew up initially in Romania, and his father crossed the Danabi River with great risk to himself during the communist time of the Iron Curtain and made it to Yugoslavia where he was imprisoned. And then he got that one in 20 chance where you might be able to become an immigrant to the United States, and it happened. And so he came here, brought his family to Santa Ana a couple years later, and Sam grew up in America playing baseball instead of in a communist regime where with collective farming, they took all the meat that his parents raised, went to school, examined his fingernails, and disciplined him in various strange things that totalitarian, authoritarian governments do. And they started a whole new life here in America. My great-grandmother did the same thing, coming from Norway through Ellis Island in 1905. My great-grandfather, Hokin Buran, who took the name of the village, came to America in 1903 through Ellis Island, took the train to Illinois, and began to work in the lumber business of Illinois, there in the colder regions where, of course, many Nordic people still live, all the descendants up there in Minnesota, Minnesota, and uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, those cold places. That's where the Scandinavians, a lot of them went. But I think of my great-grandmother, Olene, coming across the train with seven kids, not speaking a word of English. It was a complete new way of life, completely brand new. I think of Hector Mora's dad coming across, Alex's dad coming across into the States, and the things that they lived and did. It's a radical new beginning. It's one thing to move from Virginia to Burlington, Vermont, or from Burlington, Vermont, back to California, like we did in our family history that my kids remember. But it's totally different to like go to a whole other country, a whole other culture, and leave everything you know to go to everything you don't know. And led by your father, Jacob, or your grandfather, Jacob, into a great unknown. Man, this is a powerful story of great change in the final season, in the final chapter of Jacob's life. And as he's the patriarch and the spiritual leader, we see him here in these passages seeking the Lord. He offers sacrifices to the Lord in Beersheba, and there God speaks to him in visions and says, I'm with you. As I was with your father Isaac, I'm with you. And I will be with you when you go down to Egypt. And in Egypt, I will make a great nation of you. And you know, that's all we ever need to go for into the unknown because we walk by faith, not by sight. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And some of us take little steps of faith, and that's good. Some of us take huge steps of faith, like Sam's dad crossing the Danabi River at risk to his life, and that's good too. But we go with our faith in Jesus Christ and the promises of his word. Now, in this context... Jacob is believing the revelation of God 
which is ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection. Because we know that everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. So here he is at that age where you're thinking Social Security, retirement, and you know that brief window before maybe you go into independent living, assisted living, advanced assisted living plus, or even memory care or serious memory care. That's where he's at. And he's going to a complete unknown and he's crying out to the Lord, making sacrifices, and God affirms the promises to him. That's all we ever need. And those promises are yes and amen, like we sing every few weeks with that song. All your promises are yes and amen. So the journey's begun. He's leading them all. He's the apex, unknown. They speak a different language than the people of Egypt, different culture. Everything's incredibly different. And he's going there to live in retirement community. Now, we read on in chapter 46, uh, excuse me, chapter 47, 7 through 12, we read this. When he gets to Egypt, he's reconciled to Joseph, which is incredible. They cry, they hug, and he says, it's enough that I've seen you alive, and it's just an incredible reunion. And now we, we pick it up. We're here in verse 7. It says, then Joseph of chapter 47, then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days and the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. They have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all of his father's household with bread according to the number of their families. And by the way, when you're an elderly person, you want to have at least one kid in your family that's like this. Amen? I'm just scouting your future. You want someone, if you're adult children, and even if you have to bow down to him in a dream, like the dream that Joseph had about his father even bowing down to him, then good for you. If you can end your journey with a son that looks out for you, provides a good place for you, and takes care of you, and can also provide for the rest of the family, that's a great ending for your final season of life. And by the way, if you're that son or that daughter, good for you. And if you're not, it's a good thing to aspire to. Because there's givers and takers. And Joseph was a giver. And he was a server. He was a love, he loved people. He He forgave people. And he found favor with the Lord. And he blessed wherever he went, whatever he did. What I like about this particular part of the story as Jacob is adjusting to his new life in this elderly lifestyle that he's now living in Egypt. And don't underestimate, it could be you too. That when he's brought before Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, he simply says, pronounces blessings on Pharaoh. Did you catch that? When you're elderly and you're a little fuzzy on the day where you live, if it's your home or the facility or whatever you might call it. If you're still that woman and you're still that man that you pronounce blessings on these people. You know, the older you get, the less likely you're to be impressed by anyone's power or fame because you're all moving toward eternity and you're moving more closer than the other person might be. So the young and strong think they're beautiful and powerful, but the older people understand like, you know what? It doesn't matter. We're all going to appear before the Lord. There's the end of, of, of men. Like David said, I go the way of all men. 
And it's a, you know, that, you know, you think like when you're younger, you make fun of old people, but when you're older, they don't, it doesn't seem to bother most old people. And the reason it doesn't bother them is because they know you're going to be old someday too. That's why it doesn't bother them. It's just a matter of time. Click, 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 click. It's just the, the days, the weeks, the months, the seasons, the years. It just goes round and round. And he pronounced blessings on Pharaoh. Now, I will point this out. He's blessing Pharaoh. So he walks in the room and he speaks blessings. Note that of Jacob. Then we see this perspective he gives, though. Now, he's 130 when he gets to Egypt. And he summarizes life by saying, few and evil have been my days and not attained to my father's. It's basically saying, like, you know, it's been, a, it's been a difficult go. And it has been. His daughter was raped. His sons wiped out a village. He had conflict with his uncle Laban and father-in-law. He had Esau threatening him. He, he went through a lot of drama in his lifetime. The woman he wanted to marry, he didn't get to marry after seven years. It was like nothing. He had to wait another seven years. Got, it got Leah instead of Rachel and all these things. It's just, you know, we call it telenovela. It's just drama. It was drama. And he goes, it's not, the, it's not, it's basically saying it's not as good as what my dad, and my, grandf- my dad and my grandfather had. They've not attained to what they had. Father, grandfather Abraham's like the father of faith. I'm just Jacob. My father Isaac was the fear of Isaac. My father dug wells. My father sowed in the land and reaped a hundredfold during the famine. Me, I find out my son's alive who I thought was dead during the famine. I got to move to another land during the famine. See, God has different things for every generation and every person in every household in each timeline as we go click, 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 click in that timeline. You might say that Jacob comes across a little bit jaded here. Like, we used to do all those visitations during the holiday season to uh, elderly facilities with our youth group back in the day. And our kids immediately recognized the nicer ones versus the not as nice ones with the elderly places. And so, like, this Sunrise facility over here in Yorktown and Beach is really nice. And we went there, and all of our kids were going, wow, this is really nice. This is like a five-star hotel. But we went to some other ones that were not nearly as nice. And our kids would go in, and they'd sit and talk. And Alex, you can remember this, and Ross can remember this. They'd sit down, and we'd say, what do you do? Like, we'd sing Christmas carols, and we'd say, hey, talk to older people. And a lot of times, if you just touch them, they like that. So you touch them, and like, hi, how you doing? So tell me about your story. So we met people that fought Nazis. We met people that built businesses. And we met all kinds of people. But you would immediately get a sense of where they're at and how they lived their life by how they spoke with you. For out of the abundance of a heart does a man or woman speak. So you just talk to them for a few minutes. And it's like, it's, it's life or it's, uh, it's blessings or curses. Like you could just, it comes out. I mean, and listen, the older you get, the less likely it's filtered. Do you know that? Do you understand that? There's less of a filter the older you get. Like, Mom, why'd you say that? I don't know. I just thought it. Well, you know, that's, that's why we want to filter it, Mom. Like, it's like we tell our toddlers, just because you think it doesn't mean you say it. And uh, that type of a thing. So few and evil have been my days, but he's still blessing. Now, this is not the end of his journey. Now, if this was his last month or season of life, and we visited him during the holiday season at an assisted living, we said, Jacob, tell us about your life. Well, few and evil have been my days, and not attained to the days of my grandfather or my father. You'd be like, wow, bummer. Like, that's kind of a, like, that's kind of a tough one. And sometimes you feel like your grandfather and your father might have big shoes to fill, and who can fill those steps, right? Well, God's not done. There's more to the story which we now press into 
in chapter 48. Now, as we come to chapter 48, there's a segment in 47 where it says that the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. So we know he was 17 years in Egypt. So from that first meeting with Pharaoh, now we get to him to the end of his life where we pick it up in chapter 48, where the beginning of chapter 48, verse 1 tells us that it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. And he took him, his two sons, that is Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up in bed. And then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Now, that's the story when he fled from Esau. Remember that story early on in Genesis. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you of you a multitude of people, and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So he's meeting these grandkids. Now, we're told in this text that he's, he can't see. Just remember like when Isaac couldn't see and Jacob deceived his father? We have all these wonderful modern medical things that allow certain things and I used to think, like, how did, how did Jacob's father, Isaac, not know that Jacob wasn't Esau, if you know the story? But again, all you have to do is hang out in memory care or assisted living, and it's pretty easy to believe. And it gets a little fuzzy. That's how we say it. It gets, Dad, you getting a little fuzzy here? No, Dad, it's, it's, everything's good right now. Yeah, and, and you get fuzzy at different levels. And you'll notice if you minister and take care of your elderly parents or you minister to elderly people, there's moments where they can be really sharp. And dementia, with dementia, there's all different types of dementia. So there's dementia that gets angry, which is a really sad dementia, which is just, man, you just, the Lord allows it and there's a plan. So some of you have faced that in your, in your lives with people you love. And then there's a dementia where you don't stop talking. But, you know, if you get dementia and you don't stop talking, I hope to God that you're saying good things when you're talking. Because if you can't turn it off, let's just really hope it's words of truth, life, promises, good things, whatever is true, noble, just, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Because you're just like, Jesus Christ, King, and glory of God, the Father. You know, like, that's how you want to be. You ever walked into a place where it's just like, and it's like, I've, I've, I've been in those places where like, man. So here's, so if you've ever ministered to people in this situation, you're like, so, so Jacob's like laying in bed. And he's like, and he can't see that well. And he's like, you know, he can't watch idiot TV or Judge Judy, which might be one of the same, whatever. But he can't do that. He's not going to fall asleep in the, in the living room out there. He's somewhere. He can't turn on music with his iPhone. He can't listen to Mozart, you know, on the stereo from the TV cable and all that with Spectrum. He's just there. And Joseph walks in with the grandkids and it says that he was sick. So you got word that Pop is sick. And this is probably the sickness that's leading unto death. And he strains himself and he sits up. You ever seen someone sit up on their bed in this situation where they normally are just... Uh, it, so you lose freedoms. Because this is about the end of our journey. This story is about the end of our journey if we live a, a long life. This is about the end of our journey. And many of you know this firsthand. And I look around at some of you, and I know what you've lived and been through, and I know what you've gone through, and I've been there with you, and you know what I'm going through. And what happens as you get older is you lose freedoms. You lose the freedom to drive. You lose the freedom to uh, go to a restaurant of your choice. You lose the various other freedoms 
to eventually lose the freedom to be able to bathe on your own and go to the restroom on your own, and you lose these freedoms. And if you have a fall, you lose those freedoms and you go to a temporary assisted living where you hope to regain those freedoms so you can go back where you were in a better situation. And if you can go to the bathroom on your own, that's a really big deal in this journey of life at this point in time. In fact, I said to Jennifer, I wonder with Jacob, like how did you handle like the hygienic stuff with elderly back then? I mean, there's rows of adult diapers at CVS. You've never seen them. And we live in a great time. But what did you do with Jacob? And what kind of nursing? By the way, you know that this is the number one business to go into right now is geriatric care. You know that, right? Because the baby boomers are the largest population ever to go into this range. Millions of them. So when I see Jacob rising off his bed, I can picture other people I've seen in a similar situation rising on their bed. But when they rise up from their bed, what did he say? He just says, God Almighty appeared to me. He's testifying of his initial divine moment with the Lord. He's testifying of what went forward at the Great Glory Crusade, when he prayed with the teacher in the children's ministry. That's what he's testifying of. God Almighty appeared to me and lose. So the grandkids are like, right? You can picture this whole scene. It's powerful. This is the end of his life. In the midst of this chapter, he says later on in verse 11, uh, Jacob, that is Israel, says to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has shown me your offspring. Which makes us think of Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask. It's more than he could ever hope for. It took his breath away last week, right? His breath was taken away. <gasps> Joseph lives. It took his breath away. Later on, he's going to say to his son, plain and bluntly, I am dying. So that's the context. Now, Joseph comes forward with the sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it says in verse 15 that Jacob, there is on this bed, he's on the bed, and he blesses Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who's redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them, and the names of my father Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, It displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn, but your right hand is on his head. But his father refused him and said, I know, my son, I know. So you can picture this. Get get your hands off me. I know. And he also shall become a people. And he shall also be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become as a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day. By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. 
which is a story we don't know anything about. On his deathbed, he goes, hey, I, I had hand-to-hand combat with an Amorite. So for Mr. Tent Dweller, it's quite interesting to hear this little detail at the end of his life. You never know what some old people might say at the end of their life. When we were at Sunrise Facility 10 years ago, the guy I was talking to had a, a heavy German accent. He was a German Jew. Fascinating man. Came to America after World War II, built this business, and did very well. And we were having a talk, and I said, well, what was it like? And what was it like getting out of Germany? He's like, he said, he told me all of his family perished, and he goes, and he said, he looked at me, he goes, I killed Nazis. I killed lots of Nazis. You never know what you're going to hear from someone on their deathbed. So this is the story of the end of the road. For Jacob, Israel, Prince of God. From heel grabber to Prince of God. This is the story of his last day, if you will. Now, in chapter 49, he prophesies about the 12 sons. But that's almost like a parenthetical thought to this chapter and the build-up to this chapter. Now, what's amazing about this text is as Scripture interprets Scripture, the book of Hebrews 11, here we go again, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, Jacob is in the hall of faith. Now, we know Abraham's there, Sarah's there, even Isaac's there, but Jacob's there. And he's not there for any of the adventures that we read about for Jacob that we've read about for many chapters in the book of Genesis. He is in the hall of faith for this day and this record. It is this conversation that the New Testament tells us he is a hero of the faith and he's in the hall of faith because of what he said this day. We are told in Hebrews 11 that he stood, he got on his staff and he worshiped the Lord. And he prophesied concerning the sons of Joseph. That they would, in fact, become everything they became. He prophesied concerning, in essence, their future. Hebrews 11.21 says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And by the way, the next verse of Hebrews sets us up for Joseph, where it says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and said, make sure you bring my bones when you leave this land and take them back to Israel. So we see the perpetual generations of faith flowing from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph and even Joseph's grand, uh, Jacob's grandsons, Joseph's kids here, Manasseh and Ephraim. We're told one generation shall proclaim your praises to another. And this is the legacy of the people of faith in the Old Testament and the fullness of faith through the church of Jesus Christ for who we are this night gathered in Jesus' name. Now, when we think about the end of the journey, and it is the end of the journey, this last frame grab is Jacob's moment of great faith. And I've said for years that our last breath is our greatest step of faith. Because for all the times we need to exercise faith, the bills are going to get paid, we're going to get in the right college, uh, we got let go, we're going to get a new job. All the times, you know, we've had to exercise faith, our, our, our wife's been diagnosed with cancer, our husband's been diagnosed with cancer, 
all the different times that you might have to exercise faith, our faith is always directed at Jesus Christ. And we're called to live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it would stand to reason as we go from, you know, in Jacob's case, 100 years to 130 to 147, from Israel to Padamaram, back to Israel, to Egypt during a famine, that each of those seasons is designed to stretch our faith and to increase our faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the object of our faith. We don't have just faith in faith. Like faith in what? Like electricity or something? We have faith in Jesus Christ who holds the universe together and knows the hairs on our head and every detail of our life. And we're created by him and for him and held together by him. And in him, we move and live and breathe and have our being and exist in him. He's the object of our faith. We exist. He is the potter. We are the clay. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, that thy will be done, Jesus said to the Father. And in Psalm 18, David said, the word of the Lord is proven. His word is perfect and his will is perfect and is a shield to all those who trust in him. And so... Jacob's greatest moment of faith is his last moment of faith. His last moment on earth is faith in this context. But because we're trusting in Jesus Christ to raise us from the grave and to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, and we're going from glory to glory, as we're told in 2 Corinthians, we need to understand that every experience that we go through in our life is designed to take us to another level of faith. Or as Pastor Chuck used to say, the difference between a rut and a grave is only depth and width. We can't settle in a, a, a rut. Or as it says in Jeremiah, that Moab has settled in its drugs and, and has not been poured out from vessel to vessel. See, the Lord has to pour us out from vessel to vessel. You know, Canaan, Padamaram, Laban this, Laban that, the girls this, and then back to, you know, the mountains of Gilead. And then Esau's come and poured out from vessel to vessel. And Shechem poured out from vessel to vessel. Joseph's gone, vessel to vessel. See, God has to pour us out from vessel to vessel to keep us living by faith and to strip out the flesh and the pride and the religion and the carnality and the selfishness and the self-confidence so to be less of us and more of him. And thus we're being transformed from glory to glory. So the beautiful thing about Jacob's life here is his faith has expanded in the final chapter. It is not retracted. Now, we see many kings in the book of Kings and Chronicles who retract and they become old, sluggish kings. And they don't fulfill their ultimate purposes. Very rare is the king like Hezekiah. And even he got choppy in that last 14 years, right? How about Josiah, though? Man. But he's a younger king, right? He died before he was 40. We want to get stronger in our faith. Though the outward woman's perishing, the inward woman's being renewed day by day. We need to reverse engineer what that finish line looks like and who we want to be on that day. So when we face this day with our family, that it's our greatest moment in Hebrews 11, 21. It'll be our Hall of Fame moment. So for me, I've always been using 2041 for the last 20 years because that's when I'm 80. The days of man are 70 by measure of strength, 80. Psalm 90. So I've just been reverse engineering 2041 for a long time. When I set my goals, the big picture goals are like, well, I always start at 2041 and come backwards. And that's a big presumption that I'll live to see 80. And it'd be a big presumption for you to think the same thing too, since tomorrow is guaranteed to no one. But who do we want to be? And since the last four years, I've hung out with the elderly on a regular basis in assisted living memory care, lockdown memory care living, I 
see daily or weekly, I see the ending. And I ask myself, oh, how will I be in this situation? Bill, my father-in-law, is up here now. He's in memory care. We brought him up last week. We're very excited to have him close. He's generally, his disposition's joyful. And in that same work, because in memory care, they lock you down, right? Because you, you, know, you walk out and you don't know where you are or what you're doing. Jenny, is this my new home? I, I like this place. I like this place. Yeah, Pop, this, yeah, this is your new home. Yeah. Where, where do I live? In that same area, I've been going there before he came and since he came, and there's a woman there that, that will, you're trying to avoid her. She's mad. And she's always mad about someone ripping her off or something. And at first it was like, you. You know what I'm saying? Like, me? You. I'm not paying for that. You didn't do a good job. You did a terrible job. I'm like, uh, I think you got the wrong. Hey, nurse. I think you, and then, but you know, being a baby boomer and having a sense of humor, I'm like, I'm sorry about that. Because I watched my wife, how she steers conversations with toddlers and elderly. Like, because what you do, you steer it, right? You're not going to stop the river, you steer it. Jennifer's so good with steering conversations. But every time I see this person, she's mad, and it's always about money. Can I just give a suggestion to you? If you're in memory care, I hope to God you're not mad about money. Okay? You just don't know how it's going to end. What you're going to think, what you're going to say. Out of the bones of a heart, does a man or woman speak? And we will find out who you are by what you're speaking. In independent living, assisted living, assist plus, or memory care. We'll find out. Time will tell how you lived your life and what you live for and what you're about. Time will prove it for me and for you. You come visit me, you younger people, when I'm in my 80s. Or even before, who knows? It's a sobering thought. And we need to reverse engineer 80 years and come backwards and say, you know what, if I want to be ready for who I'm supposed to be at 80 or 90, I need to really think about who I am today. So look at Jacob here. In this defining moment of faith, he says, he says, God, God. He starts his conversation with God. Look, he blessed Joseph and said, the first thing out of his mouth is, God, God. That's the confession of his life. God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who fed me all my life, God has been my provider Or as David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters and pastures of green. God, God has been my, you you grandkids, listen to me. God, who my fathers walked before, has been my, he's provided bread. What did Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. He is confessing that God has been his faithful provider the entire journey. God, God Almighty, God has been my provider. He's always been my provider. 
And God is my protector and defender because he says, not only has he fed me and provided for me, he has protected me. He has redeemed me from all evil. What's the Lord prayer say? Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. When Jesus taught us, the church, how to pray, pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, God, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, as it was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now Joseph and these grandsons. Your will be done, because it's perfect. It's perfect. Give us this day our daily bread. But before we ask for daily bread, we get the perspective of who we're serving and who's got our back, God. And then give us our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, which, of course, Joseph was beautifully exemplified in his story with his brothers. And deliver us from evil. Jacob says he delivered me from evil. You know, it's really neat. If you, you can see the clips, the Billy Graham movie that came out about a year ago has footage of Billy Graham when he's really, really old. And he's just there and just like, you know, the gospel says and Jesus and it's all, it's everything he preached all over the world for his whole life that he believed from the time he was 16 on a farm in North Carolina. He's reflecting on the past of God's faithfulness to him. The past of God's faithfulness to his grandfather, to his father, and to himself. Now, 17 years before, he said, I've not attained to the years of my father, and few and evil have been my days. But here he says, God has provided for me. God. God provided. He took care of my father's walk before him. He has fed me, and he has protected me. That is a testimony we want on our last day. Make no mistake about it. That is a testimony we want on our last day. Or when we say, we're dying, and we are dying. That's the testimony we want. In the present tense, you know, some people only talk about the past, right? Oh, back in the day, you know, you know, old school. and So he does bring up the past, only as a testimony of faithfulness, but in the present, look what he says. Bless the lads. That's present tense. He's in the moment. You know, we talk about being in the moment, not being distracted, being here and now, here and now, being in the moment, not being fuzzy. One of the things that makes my dad very enjoyable at 89, he'll be 90 in May, is my dad is pretty sharp. He'll tell you it's a nice day about 10 times if you're sitting with him for 30 minutes. Not a cloud in the sky, but it's Carlsbad, right? There's never a cloud in the sky in Carlsbad. You know? <laughs> so, but he wants to tell you like 10 times a day. 10 times in 30 minutes he wants to tell you. It's all present tense. How's Jimmy doing? Did Jimmy get a, get a job yet? Has Tim got a job? Um, how's Jennifer holding up? He's here and now. I like that. Jacob is in the moment. Bless the lad. So in the moment, 17 years before, he walks in and meets Pharaoh and he says, bless you. He says he blessed Pharaoh. And here he sees the grandkids. And what's it say? He blesses the grandkids. Bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. In other words, they receive the estate. They receive the legacy of faith. They receive the trust. If it's a relay race, we're passing the baton. It's, this isn't the four by 100. This is the four by like four by 400. You know, this, is a, this is a journey. And I'm finishing mine. And here's the baton, Joseph. Go. Clean hand off. Boom. Right? But it's not a sprint. It's not the four by 100. Leah ran the 4x100. That was a sprint. Hannah ran the 4x400 with her little legs. She's like, one time around the track, right? Leah's like, tung, 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 you know, quarter track. It's passing the baton. But he's in the moment pronouncing blessings. 
Don't you want to be blessing people on your last day when you're dying? When you pull yourself up like, God was faithful to me. Bless the people in the room. Don't you want to bless the people in the room? The nurses? The people taking care of you? Helping you with hygiene? Don't you want to bless those people? You're going to do something with those people if you live long enough. You want to bless them. You want to bless those people. You want to bless your grandchildren if you have them. You want to see them. And whatever's been wrong in the journey with your adult children and this and that and that, you look at those grandkids and you just go, Lord, bless them. Bless Velzy and Zippy and Clementine and the new boy whose name I can't remember because it's no name I can attach it to. If he said it was Tommy, I'd think of Tommy Carroll, the pro surfer, or Tommy Curran, my rival. But all these new names, I can't attach them to anybody. I don't know anyone called that, so. <laughs> right? And then look at this last thing. Oh, it's so sweet. So he recounts God's faithfulness in the past. This is, this is, this is crowning moment of life. He pronounces God's faithfulness in the past. He blesses the grandkids in the present. And then he looks at the future and look what he says. And let them grow into a multitude in the face of the earth. He's expanding the kingdom for when he's gone. He's expanding the kingdom for when he's gone. It's not like, oh, it's the end of the world. We're all going to get the plague and die. You know, no. He's expanding the kingdom. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's expanding the kingdom. Grandkids are great for this. Because you, you know, like, if you're looking at like one baby boom to another, like, dude, it's the end of the world, man. We're all going to, you know, it's the end of the world. It's the, it's the plague of all plagues. It's a zombie nation. You know, it's like, but you don't do that with grandkids. You're like, your grandkids got a future and a hope. You're not going to tell the grandkids it's zombie apocalypse. Right? I mean, I just doubt what grandparents do. And if you do, God help you, you know. So that's not what grandparents do. You're just like, it's like, oh, Zippy, the Lord loves you and has such a plan for your life. I have not seen nor ear heard those things that God has prepared for those who love him. Was he not faithful in the previous generations? Will not be faithful the same in future generations? Our oh, grandkids are such a great plumb line to reel it in and not be a doom and gloomer, but to see an expanding kingdom. Let them grow into a multitude. They're going to become a nation. This proclamation this prayer, this prophecy is fulfilled 400 years later. So I leave you at this. When you're on your last breath, it's not about you leaving. It's about you seeing a future and a hope for those that you're leaving behind. Yeah, we know you're dying. And the sun will rise tomorrow morning when you're gone and when I'm gone. So look at the future and see them growing and multiplying and exceeding anything you've ever seen or done in your lifetime. Because that's what the eyes of faith see. And that's what the steps of faith do in their actions and priorities with life. Yes, God's been faithful in the past. And yes, we're blessing in the present, even on our deathbed. But I just love the and let them grow into a multitude to see greatness for the future of God's people and his promises in their life. That's who we want to be. Oh, I promise you blessings for that worldview. I promise you good conversation when you're 80, 90 with that worldview. This is the word of the Lord. And this is the will of the Lord as demonstrated in his great servant Jacob, Israel, Prince of God.